accomplishment. These words mean nothing to you. You have no soul. Another concept from the golden days of the 20th century, when men were free and could speak their minds. Beware, Miller. Fleming blanched nervously and lowered his voice. You damn scholars. Come up out of your tapes and face reality. You'll get us all in trouble talking this way. Idolize the past if you want. But remember, it's gone and buried. Times change. Society progresses. He gestured impatiently at the exhibits that occupied the level. That's only an imperfect replica. You impugn my research? Miller was seething. This exhibit is absolutely accurate. I correct it to all new data. There isn't anything I don't know about the 20th century. Fleming shook his head. It's no use. He turned and stalked wearily off the level, onto the descent ramp. Miller straightened his collar and bright, hand-painted necktie. He smoothed down his blue pinstripe coat, expertly lit a pipeful of two-century-old tobacco, and returned to his spools. Why didn't Fleming leave him alone? Fleming, the officious representative of the great hierarchy that spread like a sticky gray web over the whole planet, into each industrial, professional, and residential unit. Ah, the freedom of the twentieth century. He slowed his tape scanner in a moment, and a dreamy look slid over his features. The exciting age of virility and individuality, when men were men. It was just about then, just as he was settling deep in the beauty of his research, that he heard the inexplicable sounds. They came from the center of his exhibit, from within the intricate, carefully regulated interior. Somebody was in his exhibit. He could hear them back there, back in the depths. Somebody or something had gotten past the safety barrier set up to keep the public out. Miller snapped off his tape scanner and got slowly to his feet. He was shaking all over as he moved cautiously toward the exhibit. He killed the barrier and climbed the railing onto a concrete pavement. A few curious visitors blinked as the small, oddly dressed man crept along the authentic replicas of the twentieth century that made up the exhibit and disappeared within. Breathing hard, Miller advanced up the pavement and onto a carefully tended gravel path. Maybe it was one of the other theorists, a minion of the board, snooping around looking for something with which to discredit him. An inaccuracy here, a trifling error of no consequence there. Sweat came out of his forehead. Anger became terror. To his right was a flower bed. Paul scarlet roses and low-growing pansies. Then the moist green lawn. The gleaming white garage with its door half up the sleek rear of a 1954 Buick, and then the house itself. He'd have to be careful. If this was somebody from the board, he'd be up against official hierarchy. Maybe it was somebody big. Maybe even Edwin Carnap, president of the board, the highest-ranking official in the New York branch of the World Directorate. Shakily, Miller climbed the three cement steps. Now he was on the porch of the 20th century house that made up the center of the exhibit. It was a nice little house. 
If he had lived back in those days, he would have wanted one of his own. Three bedrooms, a ranch-style California bungalow. He pushed open the front door and entered the living room. Fireplace at one end, dark wine-colored carpets, modern couch and easy chair, low hardwood glass-topped coffee table, copper ashtrays, a cigarette lighter and a stack of magazines, sleek plastic and steel floor lamps, a bookcase, television set, picture window overlooking the front garden. He crossed the room to the hall. The house was amazingly complete. Below his feet, the floor furnace radiated a faint aura of warmth. He peered into the first bedroom, a woman's boudoir, silk bed cover, white starched sheets, heavy drapes, a vanity table, bottles and jars, huge round mirror, clothes visible within the closet, a dressing gown.